On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Welcome back. Gavin Riley with you on the record this long weekend. 53106, as always, for your texts on the record NT is our hashtag. Now, this year marks the 50th anniversary of Radio on the Gale Talk. You might have seen some of the uh, online uh, notes to, to mark its birthday already. Uh, a station that began broadcasting from Galway in 1972. Um, a landmark moment in Irish broadcasting history, but it originally only went on air for two hours a day. Um, so what took us 50 years to do it then, if the state is 100 years old and the station is only 50? And what was the catalyst uh, for the whole thing? Uh, more than anything, in fact, much like a lot of things in the radio sector in Ireland, it was pirate radio. It was Ser Radio Ghanamara that was the push for it all. And Donald Fallon has just walked out of Dinning's Dictionary uh, to tell us exactly what's going on. Donald, uh, hello, how are you? Happy weekend to you. Um, it seems strange that it took us 50 years uh, from from the birth of the state to get to an Irish language station, and that it, it didn't happen in the age of De Valera's Ireland, you know, and that yeah. great p- commitment uh, on paper to the Irish language. Yeah, that is the most surprising thing about the story of Irish language radio. I love talking about the history of radio on the radio. It's always really mm. nice. And you know, the early um, political class in Ireland, we might call them, they were overwhelmingly kind of veterans of a revolution, uh, and they pondered a lot on 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 language. You know, I think they uh, some of them often struggled with the fact that the 1916 proclamation had been written in English, you know. <laughs> they felt it's a very fair yeah, point, to be honest, yeah. They always pondered, you know, what, what will be the role of, of, of Irish in this state beyond beyond lip service. Uh, P.S.O. Hegarty, who was the, uh, a former Fenian leader, secretary of the Department for Posts and Telegraphs, he said in 24, something very deep, he said, if we, if we do not revive and develop Irish, we must inevitably be assimilated by one of the two communities, the United Kingdom or the United States, or by the combined power by which they will eventually form. And in that case, our name and tradition and history will vanish out of human ken and our national individuality will be lost. I mean, they're a feeling... That's serious foresight. Serious force, but there's this feeling in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, uh, that, you know, the, the language, the future of the language is in the hands of the state. And a lot of those people felt that the state had an obligation to bring the language to the people. And the way to do that was via the media. So 50 years to establish an Irish language radio station in the context of that kind of consciousness and that kind of worry around the language. Yeah, it is quite extraordinary. Yeah, But the thing about uh, the story of the media in Ireland in general, particularly when, again, you compare it to other countries, it's one of Ireland being very slow to develop. Yeah, I mean, it's sometimes joked that television arrived in Ireland at a time when the rest of the world had already grown tired of us. You know, like by by the 1960s, television meant very little to, to people in other parts of the world. But I think one effect of television's late arrival here was that radio held massive sway in Ireland, a lot more than many other societies, you know, mm. and that uh, uh, you know, the story of the Irish language on air that we're getting into today, it's wrapped up in, in so many other things because there wasn't a state Irish language radio station. It's wrapped up in the story of pirate radio and it's also wrapped up in the story of the civil rights movement because there were people that were demanding this. But when you look at the story of Irish pirate radio, I mean, some of it directly touches on the, on the building that we're sitting in yeah, at the moment. You know, yeah. it, it's extraordinary. Uh, we often focus on the big, the so-called super pirates. So Sunshine Radio, yeah. uh, Radio Nova. Yeah, the further field, Radio Caroline, Luxembourg. Yeah, yeah, enormous listenership. Sometimes, you know, the likes of Radio Caroline, Radio Luxembourg could, could leave the state broadcaster in second place yeah, in yeah. listenership battles. And then some of them, like Phantom FM, you know, eventually made the leap to mm-hmm. mainstream respectability uh, in, in Marconi House. Yeah, indeed, <laughs> where, where we're sitting this very day. Uh, our story today, though, is about... About, uh, a much more forgotten pirate and I'm going to admit I hadn't even heard of it until you sent in your notes for this and I was like what there was one one out there which makes sense because we, we were talking about the, the, the German Nazi broadcast with, with all the Gaelic stuff but there actually wasn't much of a market uh, for Irish language radio in this country at all and it was nonetheless despite not being very well known a very important entry into the canon of pirate radio Easter 1970 this new 
uh, Irish language pirate radio station causes considerable embarrassment for the authorities. What a great name as well, Ser Radio Connemara. Yeah, uh, that's the style of the day. You know, in Derry during the Battle of the Bogside, mm-hmm. they had what was called Radio Free Derry. So Ser Radio Connemara, and it, it's one action by the kind of Irish language movement of the sixties and seventies to bring attention, I suppose, to what they regard as, as state neglect. So we have what's called Glushok Tcharta Civilta Nagueltukta, the movement for civil rights in, in the Irish speaking areas, uh, and it, it it kind of arrives on the scene nineteen sixty nine. And again, you can't separate it from what's happening in other places. Mm. You know, it's it's the the civil rights movement in the north is demanding equality, and there's the same kind of spirit in in in, in parts of society in, in in the south. So this movement has the support of you know uh, Martin O'Kine, very respected academic and Irish language writer, and kind of plenty of column inches, positive and negative, uh, went on it. But look, if one of your demands is that there needs to be an Irish language radio station, one way you can make that point uh, is is by starting one. And it was a very prescient and pressing thing at the time because this being 1969 and this being like 40 years on from the, the remarks that you just read from the uh, the Minister for Post and Telegraphs, P.S. O'Hegarty at the time, this is a time of cultural assimilation. We've seen what's going on with Flower Power and, and the Summer of Love and everything. Uh, and there is this sense that the Gaeltacht area could just completely vanish as an idea because of how prescient English was becoming. And look, demographics are changing, you know, and and, and, and Irish people born into Irish-speaking communities are moving into the cities. This idea that the state has in the 20s, these are the Irish-speaking areas and will support the Irish language there, yeah. that just doesn't work with the economic reality of people's lives. You know, people yeah. get to 18, 19 years of age and they're off. They're off to college, they're off to work or whatever yeah. else it would be. And then they're in the city and they stay there and that's brain drain. And yeah. that's it. And Desmond Fennell makes that point that he's involved in the movement in the 60s. He says, if present population trends and the present rate of language change continue, there will be no Gweltucht at all, not even the present bilingual semi-Gweltucht in another 20 years. And if these factors intensify, the final demise could be swifter still. So mm. these are people who think the Gweltucht could be in the, the last chapter of its story, if you will, you know. And when you look at some of the tactics of that language movement that really annoyed the authorities, uh, Jack Lynch arrives into Galway in 1969 during a general election. His car comes to a halt. There's nails left in its path by Irish language activists. Uh, okay. Padre McAnamara stands for election in Galway West. Uh, he fails to get elected, but he secures more votes than a certain Michael D. Higgins, who ironically <laughs> is later very important to the story of Irish language in, broadcasting. Indeed, yes. Uh, bring about bring about what we now know as as T.G. Cahar. So this language uh, this language movement it's willing to adopt some of the tactics, if you will, that are seen by the civil rights movement in in, in the north. So they feel that media representation for the language uh, is vital, understandably and obviously, and a radio station. Originally, of course, produced by the state is one of the demands of this campaign. Yeah, and there, there looked there'd been a lot of Irish pirate radio stations in the preceding decades, but mostly what they were, to be honest, they were often the efforts of enthusiasts. Uh, who were just interested in the medium and just like, can I do it? Am I able to do it? Or experimenting school children. You know, there, there was a, there was a long history of Irish kids messing and wanted to play the latest chart hits without a broadcasting license and shout out to their listening friends. But mm. it was kind of curious minds for the most part uh, who were experimenting with, with with pirate radio. There was that little political dimension from the nineteen sixties as well. But stations kind of generally come and go very quickly. There were some exceptions. So the idea of of Sir Radio Connemara, I would say, it probably owes more to radio. Your free dairy than anything else, mm-hmm. uh, and it's designed to, to force the hand of the authorities to just embarrass the authorities 
into pledging something to Irish language broadcasting. Well, you just mentioned the role of kids who are basically just experimenting with just engineering in general and just wanted to, you know, be on air and, sh- and say shout outs to their friends. It's almost like Bart Simpson doing Timmy O'Toole down the well. They just want to be able to say hello <laughs> to someone from afar. Um, but then th- this becomes a very salient thing because those who are responsible for, say, Radio Connemara, they pull in some of these school students who have experience already of running pirate stations. They reach out to these guys, Michael Healy and Martin Dwyer from, from Cork. They've been involved in what was called Radio Juliet, which was a, a schoolboy pirate radio station. Uh, and Dwyer recounted that, as I remember it, most of the necessary parts for the studio were in a biscuit tin. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> You're sitting here looking at all these mics <laughs> that they, they ran a pirate radio station out of a biscuit tin. Uh, and we travelled around Cork, moving from location location to lo- from location to location on the back of Honda 50s. But these were exactly the kind of smart kind of you know, kids' brains that were needed by the Irish language movement to get their own station off the ground. Mm. And Dwyer recalled, the people of Connemara were wonderfully kind to us, fed and housed us royally. The transmitting station was the it was this time a fairly sophisticated caravan a long way from the biscuit tin of old but equally mobile. So, yeah, Galway Press were really interested in, you know, where are they doing this from? Where is it coming from? Mm. And the station says they're broadcasting or the local paper says they're broadcasting from makeshift studios on a windswept hillside, which is brilliant. <laughs> and at a time when RTE was only using kind of three frequencies, the station went out in the non-used channel and it broadcasts Irish language discussion and debate, traditional music, news, and quite a variety of, of mm. cultural content. Now, by its own admission, of course, and this wouldn't be unique to it, uh, this would be commonplace of, of a lot of pirate stations. Um, the operations were you know, pretty amateur, um, but that wasn't really the point, or it didn't really matter. Exactly, that they because were look, by, by merely existing, you know, by just being on air, it fulfilled its own purpose, it fulfilled a political purpose, it highlighted the absence of something else, and a, a state supported broadcaster for the Gwaeltucht. Uh, and, you know, the station told the press, we believe that the people of Connemara are not being adequately served by the Irish language programmes broadcast by RTE. We do not expect that the station will be closed by the authorities. The Taoiseach has stated publicly that he'd like to see a local radio station in every town in the Gwaeltucht. And we've made a start. In other words, we're Fair just enough. doing what you said you would do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's undeniable that, say, Radio Connemara, it did pave the way for Radio in the Gwaeltucht because it begins broadcasting in April 1972. So it's very, very soon after uh, after this stunt. But yeah, it began with a staff of seven. Uh, it was actually supported by many of those who've been instrumental in the earlier pirate station. Uh, and it grew into a very, very significant uh, operation with you know, a fine headquarters in, in Western Galway mm. in time. Uh, the picture today is very different from the days then of, of say, Radio Connemara and all has changed uh, for the better, um, at least for the Irish language. But um, are, are pirates still a thing of the past or is there still a little bit of a modern legacy? Look, the language is doing well. We have a dedicated Irish language radio station. We have a number of them, actually. You know, Radio Nalifa in Dublin, too. Yeah. We have an Irish There's language radio television station. Around as well, yeah. Major thanks to, to Uchtra and the Heron, Michael D. Higgins. Uh, and we even have Irish language content on, on BBC uh, Northern Ireland, which is which is very interesting in yes, itself. Yeah. Pirate radio stations have had a very different journey. You know, uh, legislation in the 80s kind of forced most of them off the airwaves. And they say that on a single night, an estimated 70 pirate radio stations ceased broadcasting. On a 90. single night? On a single night. Wow. It's extraordinary, you know. Uh, like like Tory cabinet ministers, 70 <laughs> of them gone in one night. <laughs> and on that night, or the next day, I should say, a newspaper proclaimed front page, Pirates Finally Sink. So yeah, the late 80s was really the, the end of most mm. pirate radio in Ireland. But they do remain, I mean, they're a really important part of so many stories, aren't they? Youth culture, uh, protest, broadcasting and more besides in yeah. 20th century Ireland. Um, they're not actually completely gone. They, I sh- shouldn't be betraying this because, you know, when you're working for a, like, you know, a, a licensed radio station, of course, you should be saying that everyone should play by the book. But if you have a digital radio in your car 
and you just set it to do a scan. The number of, because there's no formally broadcasting digital stations in Ireland at the moment. There used to be an experiment with the, with the RT stations in Dublin. But if you go and do a scan now, you will see an extraordinary amount of digital stations, some of which you're actually picking up from Britain or, or from right. the North, and that's fair enough. But there's also an extraordinary number of what seem to be expat stations. Like, there's a lot that, that are broadcasting in, in Slavic or Eastern European languages, which seem to be designed almost for the little micro-communities of Dublin that are still broadcasting from somewhere with some kit, who knows, um, but, but still servicing a need. So the spirit isn't, isn't totally dead yet. The pirates are still still off-sailing uh, somewhere away. <laughs> Uh, but maybe not not with the same panache, maybe, or the same uh, cultural impact as, say, Radio Connemara had uh, 50 years ago. Uh, Donald Fallon is the author of the Community Me books and of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia. He's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about the history of Dublin, which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online. On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.